Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. Uh, how do we do this well? There's this book um, by a guy named Bruce Feeler, and he s- said in, the, in his book, Life in Transitions, the, I- the idea that we're going to have one job, one relationship, and one source of happiness from adolescence to assisted living is hopelessly outdated. Anybody experience that truth? Uh, But this idea has shaped how we see our lives. Since the birth of science 150 years ago, we adopted the idea that life proceeds in stages like a factory, whether it's Erickson's eight stages of moral development or the five stages of grief. These are all linear constructs. And this model peaked in the 70s with the idea that everybody does the same thing in their 20s, the same thing in their 30s, then has a midlife crisis between 39 and 44 and a half. Yay! It's hard to overstate how powerful this idea was. There's only one problem. It's not true. That is the reality. And if you're recently out of college or high school, you have been sold the vision that it is true. Like really, really hard. That's basically what colleges try to make their money on us. Charging, I heard, like I had one conversation that for a graduate school for dentists, that the school was charging $700,000 for a degree. Like almost a million dollars. Like insane amounts of money on this premise that once you get this degree, everything will go smoothly for the rest of your life. And unfortunately, it just ain't happening like that for any of us. Like that is not the reality in our world anymore. Maybe 200 years ago when we were all farmers, but not at this point. Uh, The goal of our life can't be to just find our one thing and stick to it and hope that that stays the same because it's not going to last that way. You're gonna have to go through changes. Now, I am not, and please do not come up to me and ask me which decision you should make. That's not my job. My job is to hopefully help us to read the Bible well, to listen, to help us to have space to listen to the Holy Spirit and to see what Jesus wants us to do. He's the one who guides us and leads us. So I want to point us in that direction this morning because change happens. It's hard, but there is hope. Change happens. It's hard but there is hope. In 1 Samuel 16 and 17, we're given the origin story of a man whose thumbprints are all over uh, the Christian faith, and that's King David. He uh, wasn't a king at this point. He was just a young boy working in the fields uh, when all of a sudden his life was dramatically changed. And I want to look at the beginning of his life because in these two chapters, he goes through three career changes before he gets to choose what's happening to him. Anybody feel like your life has been like that? A series of moves that you didn't have a choice in and just kept happening to you and you're like, how do I get out? Uh, what do I do right now? Well, let's look at David. You probably don't have to kill it uh, a giant in order to do it, but I don't know, you know, who, who knows what's next in your life. Uh, so let's look at 1 Samuel 16. If you have your Bible, open up to that, and that's where we'll be all morning. So verse 1 says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, You've mourned long enough for Saul. I've rejected him as king of Israel, so fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. 
then if you skip down to verse 10 it says in the same way all seven of jesse's sons were presented to samuel so samuel had just went and prayed for every single one of jesse's sons seeing if they were supposed to be king god said nothing so samuel says the lord hasn't chosen any of these are these all the sons you have and jesse goes well they're still the youngest but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and the goats in other words he's not worth paying attention to right like that's basically what that means if you're choosing one of my kids this is not the one to choose anybody ever have that conversation you're like we'll pray for you later that's different but uh like that's what's going on here samuel says send for him at once and we will not sit down to eat until he arrives that puts some pressure on it so jesse sent for him and he was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes sounds more and more like a marvel movie at that point uh i don't know why that's necessary samuel but okay thanks uh <laughs> The editor found that important, I guess. And so the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. So as David brought, David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of oil he had brought and he anointed him with oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. So David is here we're seeing him i mean he's a teenager he's not super old uh he's early in life and god calls him to be a king which is crazy right who wants to be 16 and get told you're going to be a king in a few years like that's some pressure but god does it through samuel coming and anointing him i think it's really important that we realize like this was the the central like uh kind of uh point in his calling is when he knew that he was filled with the presence of Jesus. He was filled with the Holy Spirit in this moment. It says the Spirit of God came on him powerfully from that moment on. Friends, everything else that I say today, if it's not grounded and rooted in that, it may or may not work. But if you've grounded and rooted yourself in the presence of Jesus, if you've allowed yourself to be in a space where the Spirit of God comes and fills you, then everything else is open to you. You can be led by Him wherever it is that He's leading you to. Transitions don't have to be as scary because you know the one who's leading you, who's in front of you in that moment. But the basic centerpiece and like foundation stone has to be that you are connected in to Jesus. It matters more than anything else in this whole equation. If you don't know Jesus, this morning would be a great point to get to know him because it will dramatically change the trajectory of your life in, I think, really, really good ways. And so David gets prayed for by Samuel and the spirit of the Lord comes on him. And then David goes back to the sheep. I think that's really important to realize. David could have, at this moment, if I was writing this story, if it was one of my fantasy novels that are like a thousand pages that I really like to geek out on, you know what would happen right here? So then David goes and he begins to build an army and the house of David begins to be built. Like that's what would have happened, but that's not what happened. No, he went back to the field because God hadn't placed him in that role yet. There was still some maturing and growth that had to happen before 
he could be king. So he stayed where he was supposed to be at that point. And then look what starts to happen to him. Verse 14, the spirit of the Lord had left Saul and the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. That I'm not even going to touch that one because that's like a whole nother sermon. So we'll leave that for another day. Uh, Saul did some bad things. We'll just say it like that. Some of the Saul's servants said to him, a tormenting spirit is troubling you. Let's find a good musician to play the harp whenever it troubles you and he'll play soothing music and you will be well again. Okay, find me somebody who plays well and bring him here. One of the servants said, you know, one of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem is a talented harp player. Not only that, he's a brave warrior and a man of war and he has good judgment. He's also a fine looking young man and the Lord is with him. At this point, I am wondering if David wrote this because it's like in like 10 verses, he's given himself some, uh, some nice attributes there. Uh, so Saul sent messengers to Jesse, send me your son, David. And Jesse responded by sending David. So David went to Saul and began to serve him. Saul loved him very much, and David became his armor barrier bearer. So, shepherd to full-time musician. Now, Jesse, do you want to become an armor bearer after a full-time musician? Does that fit your skill set? You went to Berkeley to become an armor bearer, right? Right, that, that's the net, natural next step. This is like insane bouncing all over the place, right? Like shepherd to full-time musician, I guess. Okay, it's a hobby. He's good at it. He's practiced. But now an armor bearer, he's basically secret service. Like there is no way that full-time musicians should be your secret service. Like, no offense, guys. I mean, you're wonderful. But like, no, come on. Like, there's better candidates for that job. Like, what's going on? And so then Saul sent word to Jesse and said, please let David stay for I'm pleased with him. So he's bounced back and forth, back and forth, back and forth between these different things, just kind of going at the, like, the, the, uh, the, the plans of other people. He has no say over it. And so then in chapter 17, in verse 14 and 15, it says this. David was the youngest son, and his three oldest brothers stayed with Saul's army. They were actually soldiers. But David went back and forth so he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. He's a shepherd again. We're not told that he did anything wrong. I don't know. He probably didn't. But dude is a shepherd again. When you've gone from being a shepherd to a full-time musician to secret service, do you want to go back to being a shepherd? Probably not. Like, this is not a fun process. Have you ever gone through a career change like this where you're like, why am I back in this same stinking spot all over again? Yeah, somebody did. Somebody's like, ah, I've been there. Uh verse 28 so when David's oldest brother heard David talking to the men he was angry what are you doing here anyway what about those few sheep that you're supposed to be taking care of I know about your pride and deceit you just want to see the battle what have I done now I was only asking a question so not only is he back with the sheep but nobody respects him they judge him pretty unfairly like, what has happened here? It's this big, painful circle of transition. All to wind back up at the same spot that he started from. 
Now he's just once again the youngest son stuck in the field that nobody even thinks to bother about. What happens to us when we get stuck after we thought that we had finally broken free? What happens when we get burned out and we really desperately want a fresh start, but it's not coming? How do we break out of circular patterns of transition in our life to find something more? Carrie Newhoff wrote that typically people change when the pain associated with the status quo becomes greater than the pain associated with change. Typically, people change when the pain associated with staying the same becomes greater than the pain associated with changing. That's not good news, right? You know, this means that your company downsized and you didn't have a choice in the matter. Your, your job was just cut. This means that your business isn't making enough money and so you either have to fire all of your employees or you have to just close everything up and, and go back to working for somebody else. This means that you've been the stay-at-home parent but your spouse just got a pay cut and their salary isn't enough for you to be a stay-at-home parent anymore. So now you have to figure out how to go back to work and what you're going to do with the kids. This means that the kids have moved out, which is great, woohoo! except what do I do now? This means that your rent just went up another three, four, five hundred $500 a month because you live around here and it keeps doing that all the time right now. And you, don't, you can no longer afford to stay in the same place, but you're not sure you can afford to live somewhere else. This means that your marriage has been slowly falling apart. And at this point, there's nothing you can, you, you don't have enough duct tape to wrap it up to, to keep it together. Things can't stay the same. So you're forced to do something. You know, sometimes things like this happen to us and there's nothing we can do about it, right? Death. Uh, a pandemic, sudden job loss. You don't control that. But friends, if you're shocked by transition every time it happens, you need to do some emotional work. You shouldn't always be forced into it by pain. That's not a healthy way of living. We need to put some effort into maturing emotionally. Pete Scazzaro wrote a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And in it, he uses kind of the growth stages, infant to adult, of humans to, to uh, give some verbiage around what it looks like to emotionally mature. And he says that emotional infants are people who need, to care for them, need others to care for themselves emotionally. They struggle to see other people as humans. Instead, they just grab at them to meet their needs. I'm not going to ask, don't, don't look at spouses, don't look at other people around you right now, okay guys, eyes forward, just stare at me the whole time for it, right? <laughs> but don't give me that look, right? Uh, emotional children, they're happy as long as they get what they want, they're easily hurt, they struggle to calmly discuss their needs and wants in a mature way. Emotional adolescents are defensive, they deal with conflict poorly, they're focused on themselves, and then there's emotional adults. 
uh, not perfect, but they're able to state what they need, want, or prefer. They take responsibility for their own emotional state and process. They give room, give, give people room to make mistakes. They accurately assess themselves. They can deal with conflict maturely. Now, the reality in life is that you're never always going to be an emotional adult as much as we would love to say that we would, right? You will, like, maybe when you're dying, then Jesus will be like, you finally made it. You know, like, you'll start speaking like Yoda at that point. What really happens for most of us is that we bounce back and forth, right? And there's probably circumstances you're around certain people that make you act more like an emotional I'll let you fill in the blank on which which level then you would like and you look at yourself and you're like oh Jesus help like this is bad news like I just acted like a child this is really you know and I'm 45 like what happened right there uh there's situations that bring it out of us and and that's part of life and part of life is acknowledging that that brought it out of us and that we need to to work on it we have some work that we need to do in ourselves some transitions are brought on by pain and you can't really avoid that. There's just some of that that's reality. But if pain is required for any change to happen in your life, you need to mature. It shouldn't always be the instigating events. Change happens, it's hard, but there is hope. So how do we break out of these circular patterns of transition? Well, we grow emotionally, and then we pay attention to how we naturally deal with change. Uh, Kerry Newhoff, who I quoted earlier, he says that there's like four types of people around transition and change. Uh, so see if you find yourself in this list. About 10% of the population, he estimates, are innovators or early adopters. You love change a lot. You really enjoy it. Uh, you're always ready for something new. You're a pioneer and entrepreneur. Like you just really, you get a lot of energy from this. Uh, if you fit into that category, you probably struggle though with being content, right? That's probably a part of it. I can say that as somebody who is in that category. Uh, that is a difficult thing. The early majority is about 30% of the population. You might not go looking for change, but when it comes, you're ready to jump on the boat. Uh, you don't resist it, but you probably need a little bit of data. Uh, you know, you just a little forecast, not 10 year plan, but like, how'd you do in the last couple of years? You know, you wanna know a little bit before you jump. Uh, and you probably fluctuate between loving change and hating change and wanting to just stay like you're not you're a little bit, uh, you know, on the fence with it, but you're you're earlier on on jumping into it. Uh, these are just personality bends, by the way. So it's not good, bad or otherwise, but recognize yourself. Uh, there's the quiet majority. It's about 50 percent of the population. And you want to see proof that it's worth it. Anybody like that? Anybody willing to admit that that's you? You're like, I want the 10-year plan. I do want to see that this thing is going to actually be successful. Before I married my spouse, I had a list of 25 people that needed to give me the information on what they thought about that person. Who, who did that? Who, who was that person that had, Brian, it was you. You were like, I got I to gotta question everybody on Lisa. Like you want to know everything to make sure that, it, that, it, that it's good. Uh, you struggle with transition. 
You're willing to do it, but like it's a struggle. It's it's hard for you. It's not an easy or safe place um, for you. And planning for transitions takes a bit. Uh, and then there's opponents of transition. It's about ten percent, and you just flat out hate it. Anybody want to clap because you're like, yes, transition is terrible. Uh, it is just the worst thing for you. You're willing to uh, keep trying to make the, the bad situation worse, even though it's destroying you. Like it's really bad for you emotionally. It's not good, but you're willing to keep trying because you feel like that pain is better than the pain of, of stepping out and doing something else. Uh, and you might struggle a little bit with your emotional health, val- like valuing yourself over valuing change. Like that's a little bit of a struggle for you. So these are personality bins, not good or bad, but to deal with transition and change well, you need to be aware of who you are. So where do you see yourself in that list? Are you consistently jumping ship too soon? Or, on the other side, have you been hugging on to the driftwood way too many times and having to swim a mile to shore because the ship went down and you were the last person standing? Do you require a lot of data? Do you have anxiety around change and transition? Or do you have a little too much excitement about it and you need to slow yourself down? Like, where do you fit in it? We need to learn who we are so that when change and transition comes, we can be ready to deal with it well. We can be prepared. So we grow emotionally, we pay attention to how we naturally deal with change, and we learn to accept that transition will happen. Change happens, it's hard, but there is hope. So Bruce Feeler, who I quoted at the beginning, he says that we spend up to 25 years of our lives in transition. Yay. Um, People on average go through three to five massive periods of transition, which take about five years to go through the entire cycle around. On average. Small transitions happen almost annually, like kid goes to a different school, you move to a different apartment, you take a job, but it's like, uh, you know, it's a pretty similar job, so it's not really, not much is changing except for who's staring at you from across the cube world. Um, like, those sorts of things happen pretty, pretty regularly, but these huge ones happen uh, three to five times on average. So let's see who's average and who's not, who's exceptional in this way. Uh, Let's, let's count these up. So global events like pandemic or war, not many of us have probably lived in a war zone. That, that's what I mean here. Uh, not just knowing that it's happening. But you all lived through COVID. So well done. You got one. Everybody's on the board. Uh, who got married? You get another one. Um, if you got divorced, that counts for a different one. Um, and then getting remarried counts again. Having kids uh, not, uh, not working to stay home with the kids and then going back to work afterwards or not, but making that decision, your kids moving out. Uh, if you're single, you've probably gone through a, a longer transition of processing what it looks like to remain single, um, or not have kids. If you thought that that was going to be a part of what your life looked like. Uh, you're starting a business or closing a business. You're retiring. 
you've lost a spouse, a parent, or a kid. Uh, you've moved to another country or to another part of the country uh, that is very different from where you've been living. Okay, so I'm curious. Who is like, you have lived a charmed life and you only have three of those things? Anybody? Oh, good job, Eric. You moved to a country, though. I don't know. Okay, we got it. We got a couple. Uh, who has five? Who's average? Okay, we got, we got a few average folks. I mean, no, no offense. Uh, who has seven of those? Seven? Okay. Who has ten? Anybody have ten? Yeah, there we go. Okay. Well done, folks. Ten. That is... That's epic right there. Like you have spent your life in transition. These big transitions, they go through phases. There's the, the saying goodbye to the things that you knew. There's the messy middle uh, that everybody loves being in when you're figuring out how to redo life now. And then there's the, the new beginning. The middle is called liminality is the word for it. And it is one of the most emotionally exhausting stages that you could be in in your life. And so if you've done transition 10 or more times, you have lived a lot of your life exhausted. <laughs> like, that's probably, and I probably am like preaching to the choir at, at that one. Like, it's tiring. And in those moments, emotional health, knowing how you deal with change and having a constant focus on Jesus are desperately important. Psalm 32 gives us some good news. It says in verse 8, the Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. You know, guide in this instance means to instruct or to teach. Uh, and the picture of it is of uh, kind of a relationship like we, we imagine that Jesus had with like Peter or John or one of his, his disciples where they are uh, just side by side and they're walking along and, and they're saying, hey, Jesus, why'd you pray for that guy but not that woman? Like, why did we go all the way around that city but we're hanging out here for two weeks? Why did you preach that sermon to those people but you gave that one to that group of people? It's that sort of a relationship where you can dig in and you can really ask like, what? why are you doing this? Teach me, you know, like teach me your ways. Like I want to know why. The good news is, is that that's what we're promised. And so I want to just encourage you, if you're sitting here and you're like, that's never been what I've experienced. I want to encourage you this morning to, that it might be a good day to take off the blinders, to unplug the ears, and say, okay, Jesus, if you promise that you're always going to be here instructing me and guiding me, I want to actually hear you. I want to actually be aware that you're right here with me. Allow that promise to be true in your life. And then he says that he'll watch over you. And watch over means that his eye will always be on you. There's this park that... Uh, our kids like to go to it has basketball and soccer fields and uh it has a playground and it it has some pickleball courts and so it's like something for everybody so we go there fairly regularly and i'll usually be playing basketball with our oldest 
and then our youngest wants to go to the playground. And she's nine, so she's old enough that I can let her go a little bit further out, right? I don't need a helicopter everything. And so she'll ask me if she can go. Like, yep, hit it, go. Get out of, get out of here. And she'll, she'll go. But I always know where she is. And if I'm not quite sure where she is, you know what I do? Micaiah. Like, I shout her name. Like, hey, you know, I give her a wave. And then she makes eye contact and she knows. She knows that I'm here. And then... There'll be times that I'll see creepers start to walk up to her. And you know what I do immediately? I immediately walk, start walking over there, power walk, and I'm loud, which I'm naturally loud, so this is easy. But I'm like, hey, Micaiah, what's going on? And the person looks up and like, yeah, I'm here. I'm here. You can't get away with anything. I'm here. That's what God says that he'll be for us. Even when we think that he's not right there, he is. Even when we feel like we're a little too far away, he is quick to assert himself and to say, hey, I'm right here. I didn't go anywhere. He makes his presence felt. He guides us. He protects us. He's teaching us. He might be giving us a little space, but he's really not that far change happens it's hard but there is hope friends healthy people have confidence in jesus as their guide they've accepted that change will happen they know themselves and they have a healthy understanding of their natural bias towards change and they use that knowledge to navigate to what's next if we're there what if instead of just allowing transitions to happen to us we started to choose a little bit more with those tools how they happen. When we leave David, he's being mocked and belittled by his brothers, but let's see what comes next in verse 32. Don't worry about this Philistine, David said. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous. There's no way you can fight him and win. You're only a boy, and he's a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and I rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. That's not rated G, sorry. Uh, I have done this to both lions and bears and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Okay, go ahead, and may the Lord be with you. So he gave David his own armor, and David put it on and took a step or two, and he said, I can't go in these. I'm not used to them. So he took them off, and he picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them in his bag, and then armed with only his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Here's three things that we can learn from David about handling transition well. Expect that the way that you've been formed will be used in the future. I killed the lions and bears. God will use me here too. The second thing is use what God has already developed in you to succeed in what's next and reject the easy path of just doing it like everybody else. Expect that what God's done in you 
will give you the tools. Saul gave David his own armor and he said, I can't go in these. They don't fit me. I'm not used to them. Don't worry about fitting in like everybody else. And then the third thing is step back and look through the transition through God's eyes with confidence that God will provide. The Lord who rescued me from the lion and bear will rescue me from the Philistine. Take a step back, look at it, ask God to show you through his lens, through his eyes, and you'll see much more clearly what it is that he's up to. Second Corinthians 4 says it differently, but the same message. We don't look at troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. We fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. What are your eyes focused on? The fear, the anxiety, uh, maybe just your own excitement of wanting it to happen? Or is it focused on God's perspective? I love how this ends in verse uh, 55 through 58 here with this little dialogue between Saul leading back to David. So he had killed Goliath and he cut off his head. Again, not rated PG. The Bible's not actually rated PG, guys. Uh, That's the reality. Uh, As Saul watched David go out to fight, he asked the commander of his army, whose son is this? I really don't know. We'll find out who he is. Like, dude was your armor bearer like three pages ago. I don't know how many years that is in between, but like, you don't know. I don't know. That one's a little baffling to me. As soon as David returned from killing Goliath, he brought him to Saul with the Philistine's head in his hand. Tell me about your father, young man. And David replied, his name is Jesse and we live in Bethlehem. His name is Jesse and we live in Bethlehem. David has just gone through so much But what does he grab a hold of at his core? Who he is. And he owns it. Yeah, I'm the youngest son. Yeah, I'm a shepherd. But it's who I am. It's how I've been formed. It's the way that God has shaped me. And I'm just going to live it. His name is Jesse. We live in Bethlehem. It's a small podunk town. But it's where I'm from. It's who I am. And he owned it. He lived into it. Healthy transitions bring us to places of contentment because we're confident in who God is and who we are as his kids. You know, I'm an innovator when it comes to change. I really like change, probably too much in some ways, honestly. Uh, I moved like between 10 to 15 times in eight years in my early 20s. Like I was constantly moving. Um, When I worked in banking before pastoring, I was constantly looking for what's next. Like I would scour the job boards all the time. I was always trying to move up positions. Uh, I just, I get bored, you know, like it's just a thing. Uh, When Sarah and I got married, we've, we've lived in four states since we got married, which is 10 years, and we've lived here for six years. So you can do the math with how often we moved. Uh, We attempted to plan a church, like change doesn't bother me. But settling down is really, really hard for me, actually. That's a difficult thing. And so when we came here, I knew that it was going to require me to do things that I wasn't comfortable with when it comes to change and transition. I needed to learn how to stay. We lived in the first apartment in Westboro for two years longer than I wanted to. And I would constantly be like, what if we moved here? And Sarah's like, we're not going anywhere. Like, okay, fine. But I want to. Like, I need something. Um, 
we bought a house and I knew that that was rooting me like my wonder lust over space was gone, right? Like I couldn't just keep, nobody would appreciate me changing that all the time. Uh, moving into the role of co-lead pastor, like that rooted us, really. I knew that the time commitment that was the necessary, the length of time that was necessary to saying yes to that. And it was really healthy for me because it's what I needed when it comes to change. We're all in different spots and places when it comes to this. Maybe for you, you need to change. Maybe that's what it is that would be healthy for you. Maybe you're like me and you're like, no, actually, I think Jesus is asking me to, to, to settle it down a little bit. But in all seasons, we need to learn to find our contentment in Jesus, not what excitement that we can make or that we're afraid of going on in our lives. Thank you.